Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. So today's podcast guest, we've got Alexander Spetsky joining us from London. And I've got to thank Alex for waking up nice and early to speak with us. Alex is an advocate of personal sovereignty, property rights, and sound money. He's been an avid writer since a young age, and in 2016, wrote his first public blog post on Medium. Since then, he's built up an online following, become a top 10 Bitcoin writer on Hacker Noon, and launched one of the world's most respected Bitcoin publications, the Bitcoin Times. He's also the founder and CEO at Amber, which is Australia's number one Bitcoin investment app. So, Alex, thanks for joining us this morning. Josh, thank you. That was uh, quite a um, quite an intro. Really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, well, mate, it's uh, it's all stuff that you've done. It's pretty incredible that um, you know, you're over in London now and writing for these big publications. And it's a topic that a lot of people, probably you know, myself included, don't really have a proper understanding of. Um, yep. Can I ask you a really simple question? Just how did you first get started being involved with Bitcoin? Uh, it was so I was. Um, messing around with gold and silver in 2011, uh, 2012 sort of period. That was after the, obviously the GFC. Um, mm, I'd had, yeah. a, I'd had a really interesting experience during that time. So like I had this whole dream to be a millionaire by the time I was 20, um, when, when I was 18 and I was on my, I was well on my way there. I took my scholarship money from university. Uh, it was about $5,000 worth and I turned it into about 60 grand, um, in about six months. Thought I was a genius. And uh, a couple of weeks before my birthday in 2007, uh, I experienced, you know, part of like the first tremors of the GFC. And um, and I, I was on track, like if my trades went my way, I would have been worth about a quarter of a mil uh, by my 20th birthday. And I thought, yeah, I'm not there, but close. And um, and anyway, a week, a week or so before my birthday, I lost everything. And, um, and then I managed over the next, Yes, over the next six months, I managed to dig myself uh, into about a quarter of a million dollars in debt, $250,000 in minus, which was an interesting experience. So, so that kind of fueled me then. That, that was what kicked off my entrepreneurial journey, but it also kicked off my journey into trying to understand markets and economics and what, why do, why, how in the name of Christ did everything blow up so badly? And as I started learning about that, I started discovering, you know, how, uh, you know, uh, the actual money, uh, which, you know, money by its very definition is kind of like a measure of human beings, time and effort, you know, as their input in society. And money should map directly to time and effort. And, and for, for time immemorial, like we've used different um, objects to represent money, but for a long time we used gold. And, and gold just has some really interesting attributes. And what I found was that, you know, in 1971, you know, the world came off the gold standard and, you know, governments around the world started just printing money. And as, as you print money, like if you can, like you can't create time and energy, but if you can print money, you kind of start to distort how society functions because you and I have to work for money. Like we have to yeah. trade our time and energy. Somebody else can just press a button and create it out of thin air. So, so you start to create these really disastrous consequences. And as I started reading that, I started realizing that, you know, that there's something else going on here. And, and then not from a conspiratorial standpoint, but more so from a sound economics standpoint. It's like, you know, 
you, you don't get something for nothing in the world. And when we as a society go and try and create mechanisms to create something for nothing, you know, we start to get these um, events that happen like 2008, like 2000, like 1992, like 1987. And it's a recurring theme. Like, it, it, but the, the problem is, you know, every 10 years or so, like we forget about it. <laughs> we yeah. do the same thing over and over again. And that's the here data. Exactly. And here we are again. So, so basically the, the long, the long answer to your story is, um, oh, sorry, the, the long story answer to your question is I, I was, I was buying gold and silver in 2011 because I was like, man, these guys have just injected a trillion dollars into the system out of thin air and gold and silver went ballistic. Like, um, you know, that, that's actually one of the ways I dug myself out of the hole that I was in. Um, was you know gold went from something like eight hundred dollars to two thousand. Um, silver went from I think it was nine or ten dollars up to fifty dollars. So so and that's when I first heard about Bitcoin. But to my everlasting regret, I dismissed it at the time. I was like, oh, what's this internet funny money? You know, no one really cares. Whatever. And I stuck with my gold and silver. And look, I did well. You know, I sold out at the top, um, and then I sort of moved on to other ventures and things like that. But. I, I came back around, like I had a catalyst in my life where I'd built a tech company and then I had a disagreement with the board and um, and I got what I call Steve jobbed out of my own company. So, I, you know, I had to yeah, step wow. down as CEO. And yeah, that was in 2016. And at that time I was a little bit distraught. I was like, oh, what am I going to do next? And I was looking at all these sorts of uh, 3D printing at this, at that. And Bitcoin sort of came across my radar again. I was like, what the hell? This thing's still around. And when I'd first heard about it, it was, you know, somewhere around like 10 or $15. And this time it was $600. And I thought, what the hell have I missed here? And then I started digging and I found like all of these similarities to like Bitcoin, why it exists, you know, the, the fact that it's um, fixed in supply, that it's, uh, you can't uh, print it, you can't confiscate it, you can't manipulate it, you can't, like all these sorts of things, which have a lot of similarities to gold's physical properties. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, like, I fell down the proverbial rabbit hole and, um, and here I am four and a bit years later, uh, waving flag. So there's the, there's the medium length story. <laughs> the medium length. All right. We've missed out. Well, I was going to say there's about a million things I could have, uh, you know, interjected there and, and try and dig deeper in this. Some interesting stuff that, uh, that's happened to you, Alex. So, um, you know, in terms of Bitcoin, like, can you give, you know, for our listeners who, you know, maybe they know Bitcoin, they've heard about it. But they don't really know much else. Can you give us like the three, you know, Bitcoin for dummies, little like top three facts or something that people might that just help them wrap their head around it a bit more. So one thing even just you touched on then was um, fixed supply. Yep, yep. So that that's probably one of the biggest elements of um, Bitcoin is this this idea that you've got a digital object that is fixed, scarce, and cannot be duplicated. So um, a lot of like the way we know digital stuff is like if I send you an email, we've created a copy um, and I can send a million emails and I just create a million copies. So, so digital stuff is not rare. It's not scarce. And that's why, um, you know, there's no effective cost to it. Bitcoin was the first time where a, a program uh, was created that now runs on hundreds of thousands of machines around the world. It's just it's the same program running on all of them. Um, it's, and, and that program is effectively just records the ledger and it has a bunch of rules. And, and the way it effectively works is anybody who chooses to be a part of the Bitcoin network, whether as a user, whether as a miner, whether as a validator, whatever, whatever capacity you're um, uh, functioning in, is you're effectively saying that, all right, I agree 
to these rules. And, you know, one of those rules is this 21 million coins. That's the fixed supply. Um, another one is, you know, the, the blockchain, which is what the, the data infrastructure of um, Bitcoin looks like. So it's this uh, blocks of transactions every 10 minutes. Yep. Um, and there's an economic reason why it happens like that. Um, so so there's, there's all these bits of elements, but basically it enforces this primary rule, which a lot of people know and understand, is that there's a fixed cap. Now, that's really, really, really important because what I said earlier, that money represents um, our time and energy. Now, that, that's, they're two things like, can, can you go tomorrow and can you print some more time? Definitely not. I wish I... Yeah. Can you, can you create any energy? No, right? So, so they're the two fixed constants. And effectively, the game we play as human beings in society is we do things, we do stuff, uh, we basically take our time and energy, we mix it with something, and we add input into society. So money is supposed to just be this measuring tool to sort of evaluate or measure how much, the, the, how much input we're placing into society. Now, someone like Jeff Bezos, for example, who creates an incredible company like Amazon, the input or the impact he has in society is extraordinary because he's, you know, fundamentally transformed the way shopping works. So that's a lot of value. And as a result, he is worth a lot of money because he has fundamentally saved or added that much value to society. Now, that gets measured in, in his example, in US dollars, for example. Now, where things get weird is when uh, people start to print money, which is what governments and all that sort of stuff do. And, and this is kind of where a lot of people understand gold and understand things like art or even real estate's another really good example. You know, there's a, there's a great uh, saying by, I can't remember who it was now. I think it was Emerson or someone like that who said, um, buy land, son, they ain't printing any more of that. Mm. And it's, um, and, and the idea is that you, you, you buy something that, you know, can't be just created out of thin air. And Bitcoin's the first and last, because digital scarcity by definition is a one-time event, the first and last time a organic computer program that runs completely like without centralized control has emerged from the internet. Um, it, was, uh, it was put online by a, um, this is maybe fact number two, is um, by an anonymous creator. Nobody knows who it, who it is, what it was, whether it was a group, whether it was a man, woman, nobody knows. Like wow. it was placed there with some rules and it was adopted by the community organically, not by somebody saying what this is. It was just, this is what it was and it's open source software. Anybody can run Bitcoin, all that sort of stuff. So you've got this thing that is fixed in supply. We achieved the ultimate invention, which is digital scarcity. And because what Bitcoin is, is um, it's a monetary network with a monetary unit, so it's got Bitcoin, the currency on Bitcoin, the network. We now have a money that sits outside of uh, government control, central bank control, um, banking control. Like it, it literally enables anybody, whether it's you, me, you know, an Inuit in the Arctic, uh, you know, someone in, like it doesn't matter who or what you are, you can now participate in a globally connected uh financial system which has never existed before in the history of humanity like um and, and so, so if i was to sum up the three things fixed supply so it's like the first time we've had fixed supply money like gold came close because gold is i mean a fundamentally fixed supply in the earth like you can't yeah. 
just print more of it. And it's always been the alchemist's dream, but they've always failed. So fixed supply is really important. Number two, anonymous creator. So there's no way to shut this thing down. You can't knock on someone's door and say, turn it off. Like the only way to shut Bitcoin down would be to nuke the entire internet, which no one's going to do. Um, and number three, it's, um, I don't know, what can I say for number three? It's like a, it's a, it's not run by anyone. It's, it's a network that lives and breathes based on uh, the people that are involved in it, whether as a user, whether as a miner, whether as a validator, whether as an exchange, in, in all these capacities. So it doesn't, it, it's really like natural, organic and emergent. And, um, and that's super, super, super unique. We've never seen anything like that before. In, in, I mean, the internet might come close, but I would argue that Bitcoin's actually a bigger deal than the internet even was. So, yeah. There you go. Thanks for that, Alex. That's awesome. Just gives people, you know, myself included, a bit more of an understanding. Um, and in my head, you know, I'm picturing a Mark Zuckerberg type who's the, you know, the figurehead that he created it. But that's interesting. There's just a, there's not that, that doesn't exist for Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't exist. And, and that's what's so incredible, actually, because imagine, like, pe- pe- like people these days have a problem with, like, oh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook, you know, uh, being able to dictate what people can say these days. And that's really dangerous in a free economy, right? Or, 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 or if we want to live in a free society. Now, imagine if somebody was running the money, right? So, and, and at the moment, somebody does run the money and it's, you know, it's governments. And that's, that's a really dangerous position for society to be in because, you know, it, it's, it always leads down the path of some level of authoritarianism. And the problem is as soon as you move into some level of authoritarianism, it starts to then compound on itself. Um, and over time, society ends up decaying or, and it may not even be intentional. You know, I'm not here to say that, you know, governments are intentionally trying to steal from their people, but it happens just as a necessity of, tr- of a government trying to stay alive, right? It's like yeah. they make a mistake and how does a government fix a mistake? Or oh, they, they tax us or they print money, which both of them are, you know, ways of taking wealth away from the people, right? But it's, it's the only option they have. Whereas for the first time, you've got this thing that sits outside of anybody's individual control um, and that therein lies its power. Like, and, and that's, again where I draw an analogy to gold is like, um, you know, you, you can't like gold's important because it's got these cool physical properties. It doesn't react with anything. It's scarce. It's, you know, it's fungible. It's got all these properties. You can't just go and copy that with another metal because it's another metal, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's gold or you can try and pass lead off as gold, but you know, you're only, you're an idiot. Like you got scammed if you bought lead instead and thinking it was gold, right? Because they're different properties and that's the thing with bitcoin and whether you're talking about traditional money or even every other cryptocurrency like all the other cryptocurrencies are just basically fake gold and people trying to sell the promise of bitcoin um with the word crypto uh, but not understanding the principles upon which um, bitcoin exists so um, anyway off no, that's, i like it i like it well i might hit you with a couple of questions that'll be some shorter answers um sure, sure. so for example you know i want interested to know how all of this stuff you're talking about, your journey led to, in 2017, you being announced as a finalist in the iFly Online Achievement Award, which um, mm-hmm. was a category as part of the Seven News Young Achievement Awards for Queensland. So yeah. what was kind of happening then that led to you becoming a finalist? So I can't remember now whether, if it was 2017, that means I would have been just uh, kind of, figuring out what I'm going to do with Amber, which is the Bitcoin app. Yeah, so Amber um, and, was, uh, was part of that for sure. 
It was okay, cool. All right. So, so yeah, that that's basically where um where I would have been. So I would have I would have finished up at iRecruit, which is the previous business, um, and kind of like moved on from that. Um, learned my lessons about you know having a board that's too big and yada yada yada. Sounds like a bit of an acrimonious departure. It was uh, it was an interesting one, I must admit. Look, at the time, like I felt super betrayed and all this sort of stuff. Which is this is part of the trials and tribulations you go through in a business, right? And um, but the, the older I become, the more I realize that I was a bit young and arrogant as well. Um, so you know, I I I wanted it my way. The board wanted it their way, and we didn't really come to a an amicable sort of yeah you know conclusion. So um, so anyway, I, I left that. And yeah, so in, in 2017, I guess I was mapping out like, because I'd been running around at least by that stage for almost nine months or close to 12 months, running around telling everyone to buy some Bitcoin and everyone would just look at me like I've got three heads. <laughs> and I was, trust me, there's something here. Trust me, trust me, trust me. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, and, and someone said it to me, they're like, well, all right, Mr. Know-it-all, you know, you're so good at business. You think you know what's going on here. Why don't you build something? And I was like, Hmm. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> so that, resonated, that resonated, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, basically, and and that's that's usually I think that's one of the beautiful things about entrepreneurialism is that you know you can you can go out and complain about something, or you can go and do something about it. Hmm. And you know, I was, I was basically you know for a couple of months complaining about you know why why don't more people buy bitcoin and i was like well look you know it's it's fundamentally hard you know it's 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 not easy and and that's where i think you know things like what you guys do with your awards is you know you you reward entrepreneurial spirit and people that are creating things and um bringing new knowledge whether it's to the market to consumers whether it's um defining new categories like there's a if if you're familiar with peter Thiel, you know one of the founders of paypal the yep. first major investor in Facebook, you know, he, he wrote the book uh, Zero to One. And in the book, he basically makes the, the, the statement that the next Bill Gates won't be building a, a, a Microsoft, the next Mark Zuckerberg won't be building a Facebook. Like a zero to one innovation is uh, a binary difference. Like it, it, it's something is created that's unlike anything we've ever had before. And I would say the internet was a zero to one um, innovation. Um, because, you know, we had communication, which was direct before, and the internet yeah. became this network of nodes that allowed communication to route around the world. So that was fundamentally uh, different. Electricity was a zero to one. Um, arguably, you know, Facebook was a zero to one. There was no, you know, real, like MySpace was kind of a social network, but not to the same degree as what, my, uh, what Facebook was. Uh, Uber was a zero to one. Um, but I would say the biggest uh, zero to one since the internet or since electricity is something like Bitcoin. And, and this, this is fundamentally what entrepreneurs do. And it, depending on the scale of the zero to one, obviously, it's like that, that then uh, drives the scale of the impact in the world. And again, this, this is sort of what, um, what being an entrepreneur is about, you know, what being involved in organizations like yours is about. It's people who go and discover something, find some sort of first principle sense in it and develop a way for more people to participate or be a part of it. And, and that, that's what I think is special, not only about entrepreneurs, but about sort of the idea of a free society. Yeah. And so with Amber, is that, you know, you mentioned free society just there at the end. Was that kind of 
know, obviously it came from a personal standpoint and you, you said you were building it to, to create this, I guess, solve a problem that you were kind of passionate about. Um, and did you see that have an effect with other people out there in the community, like helping them to get involved and um, yeah, become absolutely. part of that? Yeah, because I think that the more the more people that um, I guess this is a you know, without sounding quaint, but it's like a power to the people kind of thing. That that's what Bitcoin's all about, right? It's it's like in the same way as the the Gutenberg the printing press, you know, enabled information to be spread outside of just the church, right? That 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 transforms society. The internet then also allowed us all to become publishers in our own way, right? Like you know, before that. You know, who, who the hell are you and I to go and have our information published to a broader audience? Nobody. We couldn't do that. But the internet all of a sudden enabled anybody to participate um, in uh, communication, in discussion, and, and it sort of connected the world. And we've you know we've done so much with that. Um, now Bitcoin then unlocks the ability for all of us to uh, fundamentally participate uh, in an economic system. Because if you can't participate in an economic system, like this is. Is, and it's really important to define what economic system means. It just means a way for you to share your time and energy and uh, trade it with other people. Simple as that. If you can't do that, guess what? You're you're screwed. <laughs> you know you can't. And and that's how people get left behind in society. But when you can participate in an economic system, then you know people can uh, grow. They can interact. They can trade. They can you know build communities. They can they can in, innovate, they can become entrepreneurial, they can do all these sorts of things that we hold important. And my hope is that the with Amber, the impact that will have on the world is that more and more people will find an easy way to buy and hold some Bitcoin. And as a result, hopefully, you know, be one of the catalysts that over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years helps transition the world off these, um, you know, these stupid government currencies, which I think are ridiculous. It's, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, the, what's an analogy that we could use here? It's like the internet is where we, we can all be free to express ourselves, whereas beforehand we weren't and we had to, like, um, allow newspapers and particular chosen media to tell us what to think, yeah. whereas um, at the moment it's like the, the governments and the central banks are almost like the old media it's like they get to print the money they get to choose what happens with the money and none of us have a say in the matter whereas bitcoin kind of ushers in a new age and and it's it's really 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 like it's a big stretch of the mind to think that one day we might live in a world where you know money's not run by somebody but um i feel like you know that's that's the big zero to one change that that may well, that is likely to happen over the next few decades. Um, so th this is definitely a long game thing. Yeah, right. So it's, uh, I mean, it's really interesting because straight away when you started speaking at the very start of this podcast, I could tell that, well, I don't, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but it seemed like to me, and you can tell me if this is correct or not, that the way your mind thinks is, you know, talk about economics and philosophy and almost merge them together in some respects. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I actually fundamentally believe, like most people, try and pass economics off as a science, but it's not. It's actually a philosophy um, because it's it's you know you can't measure. So, so this is one of I think also the fallacies of modern society is that we think that we can measure and control and predict complex systems, 
Um, but we fundamentally can't. Like there's a whole branch of mathematics now called complexity theory where everything is based on probabilities basically. Like you can't, you can't know that if you push something here, what complex effect it's going to have out on the other side. And uh, true economics basically states that, hey, we don't know the ramifications of decisions we make. So instead of trying to centralize and manage everything, like there was, I mean, if you look at the Indian economy when they first, um, you know, when the Brits first left, the, one of the first rulers of India said, I can run this entire economy with one mathematical equation. <laughs> they basically sent the country back 100 years. Like it was, and it was the same with communist uh, USSR. Same thing. They, they, they thought that they, like, they were arrogant enough to think that they could mathematically extrapolate down to the you and me level of decision. You know, what you should have, what I should have, and because some central planner thought they could do that. Now, we have that to a lesser degree today, but true, pure economics from a philosophical standpoint says that, look, nobody knows. So what we should allow people to do is make their own decisions um, with the resources that they procure and the resources that they earn, which is the work that we do. And that's, you know, fundamentally, um, it, it's, a very, it's a very important shift in thinking and it's, it's very divergent to, unfortunately, the way the world sort of, uh, uh, the trajectory that we're on. And yeah. I hope that, you know, something like Bitcoin is a catalyst to make people think that, hey, maybe there is a way that you don't have to just, you know, put your blinders on and wait for somebody else to tell you how you should live. Like it's a, there's a lot of philosophy behind it. So thank you for picking that up. No, that's all right. Well, you know, and it begs the question, I suppose, does um, Bitcoin have the power to you know, repair some of the damage in the system the way it is now and, you know, the 1% having the power and, and all of that kind of stuff? Do you think there is that kind of potential? I really think so. Like, I think that there's a really um, good saying sort of like in the Bitcoin community that everyone says, fix the money, fix the world. Um, because one, one of the problems that you get, um, so there's this concept called the Cantillon effect, which a lot of the, what's called the natural economists, they talk about. And the natural economists are always against government printing of money or government ownership of money or central banks. Like natural economists have always fundamentally said, we should use gold because nobody owns gold. You know, like at the end of the day, like, how much gold you end up acquiring is a, uh, a result of how much work and productivity you create as a society. You shouldn't just be able to press a button and say that you've got more money tomorrow. <laughs> like it's, you know, yeah. you, you basically, it's kind of like playing the game of Monopoly whilst everyone else is like playing properly. You're sitting there just pulling money out of the till, right? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, that's, that's not how we play, right? So, so this is how you end up getting these um, 1% effects is you've got a couple key people that are really close to what's called the monetary spigot, which is where the money is formed. So they're basically the bank in the monopoly game and they can just give themselves extra whilst all the rest of us like idiots have to work for it. Um, and then in the process of doing that though, like let's say you have a game where the maximum amount of money is um, $1,000, right? Just for argument's sake. And you all have $10. That means you own 1% of the total economy. And that's fine. Now, if this person all of a sudden pulls an extra $1,000 out of the till and gives it to themselves, not only do they now have two th uh, you know, a larger chunk of it, so now they have $1,010, but the total percentage of your ownership of the economy has just halved. So all of a sudden, you've become 50% poorer, relatively speaking. Yeah. And that's one of the dangers of inflation. So, 
And what ends up happening in a society when you have that kind of incentive, instead of people, all the smart people working on productive things, like, for example, what Elon Musk is doing, like trying to send us to space or, you know, building new things, what ends up happening is there's this crazy incentive for everybody to get into banking and to get into regulatory crap. So all of a sudden we've had in the last, you know, 20, 30 years, this insane flooding of um, uh, basically people going to Wall Street and financialization of the world where they've then, because the, the first people to get the money, like if you if you watch the recent 60 Minutes um, interview in America where they interviewed the Federal Reserve Chairman of um, uh, Jerome Powell, and the interviewer was like, so basically what you guys did was you flooded the system with money. And he's like, yes, yes, that's what we did. And he's like, so, and where did you get that money from? He's like, well, we, we basically print it um, and we create it by buying, you know, treasury bonds and uh, lending to, you know, to our partner banks of the Federal Reserve. So effectively what they do is they give them and themselves a bunch of money. Yeah. And then that money goes then into the stock market, into assets. And then you end up getting this crazy disparity where all these assets are going up in price because this, there's more money chasing the same amount of assets. But then the rest of us who are working really hard and got a little bit of savings, our savings are falling in value. So all of a sudden you end up getting this, the small percentage of rich getting really, really rich and the larger percentage of poor getting more and more poor. And, and you get these really weird effects when somebody can print the money. Whereas the reason I think Bitcoin changes that or fixes it to a large degree is now nobody can do that. Yeah. <laughs> the only way on a Bitcoin system is if someone works more. Well, that's actually a really nice way of explaining it, the way you've explained it just there. Um, you know, people have heard that about all the rich get rich and the poor get poorer. But yeah. I think the way you succinctly, you know, outlined that is a really good way for people to wrap their heads around that. Um, yeah, it's, it's really important. Like, I'll add one last thing to it. It's like a lot of people think that, oh, you know, uh, the rich people, like, they, they, they get rich because they have um, some unfair advantage. And, and that's true and not true. So you've got people that are business owners, for example, who go out and they create something brand new and they add a lot of value to society. And this, this is why I say entrepreneurs are like, I call them the stem cells of the um, economic body. It's like entrepreneurs can come from anywhere and they can improve just about any element of a, of a business, of a society. So any element of a society or an economy through creating or solving a problem somewhere, right? And they create value by doing that. Whereas if you're a banker, you're not actually creating value. You're actually extracting value from the system, giving it to yourself. And as a result, because all economies, all societies are closed systems, you can't create something. So when you enrich yourself, you actually do it at the expense of someone else. Whereas if you're entrepreneurial, you actually grow the pie. And that's a very different um, thing. So I always believe that entrepreneurs who are able to make good decisions or even like whether it's entrepreneurs, whether it's doctors, lawyers, employees, whatever it is, if you're a participant in a society and you can add value by working smarter, working harder, doing something productive, you know, creating something new, you deserve every little bit that you get. And if you continue to make good decisions that benefit society, benefit yourself, benefit those around you, you continue. You should be perfectly allowed to compound your wealth because that's the result of making good decisions. But if somebody can do it unfairly by being really close to the to the box of money in the monopoly um, thing, then that's unfair. 
And, and that's when we get these crazy disparities. And that's really something we need to fix if we want to have a more prosperous society. Otherwise, we're just going to end up, you know, doing the same thing again. And then we're all going to end up hating each other. And then we're going to be pointing fingers. And then, like, what's unfortunate is, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs who've done really good things, they're end up going to get the brunt of the blame because they're going to be like, oh, look, you've got money. It's like, well, wait a minute. I've worked for it. Yeah. <laughs> I've done something. It's, you know, and it's really, really crazy. So, yeah, I think it's a very important distinction to think about. Well, we kind of, I mean, I love your answers, Alex. They're awesome. And they, you know, you said before we started that uh, sometimes, you know, you, you do give long answers to stuff, but I think that's where sometimes the best stuff lies. Um, but I did, was mindful of uh, going back a little bit to, you know, 2017, we talked about how you were a finalist. Um, I mean, can you remember what that was like at the awards night? And if, uh, you know, there was other people in your category, for example, who kind of, you know, you were able to to work with or, or kind of, um, you know, because you're talking about entrepreneurs and often people with that mindset, they connect together. They do. Yeah, they do. I, I didn't really. Um, so so the night was incredible. I mean, I always love being involved. Uh, anything that's sort of uh, entrepreneurial where, where people that are, hungry to do something and make an impact in the world and do something good like i love being in rooms like that and, and that for me that that's why i basically participated in the program in the first place i thought well hey i'm this crazy person who wants to do things in the world let me go hang out with some other crazy people you know who want to do things in the world and and for me that's always important and, and that, that's like this is why i respect um uh you know organizations like what you guys are doing is because you you actually you you recognize the people that are actually doing the work because <laughs> yeah. you know w- without entrepreneurs you lose the lifeblood of a society like without somebody willing to go out there and take a chance to build something who's going to do it what you think the government's going to do it no way <laughs> like that the government exists to you know reallocate other people's productive resources <laughs> like it's you know the government never produced anything they just kind of you know move the chairs around on the titanic but um you know the, the entrepreneurs like we we go and build that stuff and organizations like you know what you guys do and the podcast that you're running like you actually bring some light to um to these efforts to these endeavors and that's incredibly incredibly important because it's a it's a lonely ass road sometimes you know sometimes you really genuinely think you're crazy like for the last four years that i've been in bitcoin like you know bitcoin sort of it, it it's it's growing in waves um, it's something that, you know, every couple of years, there's a bit of a, a, a what's called like a crazy bull run, which means that everyone sort of notices it and starts to buy some and the price goes incredible, like, and then it crashes. And, and that, that's not a, that's just a function of Bitcoin's emergence. But during the period that it's crashing and everyone thinks everything's coming to an end and this sort of happens, you know, regularly with Bitcoin, it just happens to a lesser degree, the older it gets. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then people think that, Oh, why the hell are you still there? Like, and it starts to become a long road. Like I was in, you know, 2018 raising money for Amber right when Bitcoin was crashing and people were like, are you insane? And I was like, well, no, because the fundamentals haven't changed. Um, and I'm still as passionate as I was about this when the price was going up. So I'm not here just for another get rich quick scheme. I'm here to have an impact on the world. And, and that's what most entrepreneurs have to go through. They have to go through this period of hardship where Nobody believes in them. Everyone thinks they're crazy. Like, and, and anyone that I name, Steve Jobs, Bezos, like Jeff Bezos, a lot of people don't realize this. He was 32 or 33. He was around my age. 
and he left one of the highest paying jobs in New York in the early 90s. He was, he was working for the most successful hedge fund in the world at the time, getting paid $350,000 a year at the time, which in today's money, something like two million bucks a year. Imagine leaving that in your early 30s to go and start a goddamn bookstore on some network called the internet, which nobody uses. Like, could you imagine the fortitude to go and do that? Yeah, it sounds like a crazy thing. It's insane. Absolutely insane. Like, you know, Elon Musk, the same thing, like goes out, says, I'm going to build a a private rocket company. You know, everyone tells him he's crazy. Even Neil Armstrong says, you're a lunatic. You know, you're not going to succeed. And here he is, the first man to figure out how to land rockets way before NASA or the government. everything. So this is like entrepreneurs of the lifeblood of every society, of every economy. Without them, everything stops. So organizations like you guys help enable that. And when I think back to 2017, it's like, you know, that was one of those moments where you get to meet people who are in some way, shape or form making a dent in the universe, if I'm going to use Steve Jobs' words, making a dent in the universe in their own unique way. So, you know, I mean, th- those things are always special to me because that's, um, that's how we recognize the, the effort that's being put in to make the world better. Yeah, it's awesome to hear, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for that. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, that's what's one of the things that we try and do is, um, you know, we recognize that people are making a difference in this world. Um, and when they're doing it, you know, in a positive way, in the right way, then we just want to back them 100% and uh, give them a platform to, to share their message. That's what it's all about. That's why we started this podcast as well. So, yeah. um, Alex, I do want to ask you before we uh, wrap up. So that was in Brisbane, that awards night. And then how did you go from there to London? Are we already in London at that point? What was the timeline there? Oh, no, no, no. I've, I've only... Um, <laughs> I... I left uh, Oz in September last year to go on a conference um, and then I kind of went from one conference to another, speaking at this one, speaking at that one. I went to raise some money in America um, and then I was uh, I was in Europe at the time and then I, I spoke at a conference um, in Austria and then I jumped on a flight to go to some meetings in the UK because we're trying to establish Amber here in Europe. And then um, all hell broke loose with our little friend, Corona, and I got stuck. So, oh, you're stuck over there, mate. I didn't realize. I thought you'd moved over yeah. to uh, I mean, I'm not, Yeah, no, well, look, I'm not stuck anymore per se. Like, I could go back to Oz if I wanted to. But the thing is, like, we need a man on the ground. So, mm. you know, what, what better man on the ground than the person who figured it out in the first place? So, like, the team and everyone's, you know, running the show back home. I mean, we're all working remotely anyway. So, it's like, even if I was in on, like... I'd be at home anyway, so it's like who cares? Um, so yeah. I may as well may as well do something productive over here. So when did you make the decision to kind of say, "Nah, I'm staying here. It's better for everyone." A couple months ago, because what we realized was there was, um, you know, I, I needed to meet with people here and do calls here, and it was like so much more like the worst time zone to work in if you're in Australia is Europe, and like vice versa, right? Because we're literally on opposites. Yeah. So I thought, shit, if we're going to do anything in Europe, like we literally need someone here unless I decide to stay up 24 hours, you know, do things in Europe and then do things at home. So I'll just stay here, do things here, get things going, and then I'll come back to Oz when the time comes. Yeah, I think just about everyone's got their mate in London, their friend in Europe somewhere, and it it is difficult to stay in touch properly because of that time time zone, you know. You're always missing each other. So I I know what you mean there, Alex. 
total pain in the butt. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I can't believe you were stuck over then. <laughs> and then I know you're not, not stuck, but that's just uh, so interesting. So, what did you have to go out and buy? You know, a bit more of a wardrobe, or how'd you get by in that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went to the shops, got some stuff. Um, I had a, I got my sister to send me a bunch of stuff um, in the mail. I was like, hey, <laughs> I kind of need my clothes, man. <laughs> yeah, she's, no. like, what? she's like, what the hell happened to you? I'm like, don't ask. <laughs> So classic, classic Alex Svetsky story. Like all my friends are laughing at me. They're like, expect you of all people, Mr. Sovereignty, Mr. You know, the world is your oyster to end up getting trapped somewhere around the world like an idiot. And I was like, yeah, well, story of my life. So uh, I guess, you know, can you, do you have a bit of a plan for the rest of 2020 or can you share with us what's on your radar? Obviously you're trying to get things going over there in Europe. Yeah, so it's, I mean, basically the rest of this year is going to be just head down working. I mean, it's, it's really funny, like th- this whole, you know, pandemic mess and all this sort of stuff, like, again, I'm sure you know my views, like, so far. It's like, I, I think the way um, authorities and everyone has approached this has been atrocious, like locking people down that don't need to be locked down and all this sort of stuff. It's like really, really, really stupid. Like I, I've watched, I've got a f- few friends in Sweden and seeing how they approached it, they didn't do any lockdowns. You know, they just sort of um, made, they, they applied some restrictions to the nursing homes and to the elderly, but they let everyone else go about their business. And Sweden's fine. Like, literally, it's fine. It's got the lowest numbers in the world and all that sort of stuff. Whereas everybody, every other government lost their damn minds and, you know, forced people to stay inside. And I just thought that that was so stupid. So, you know, whilst I've been against things like the lockdowns and all this sort of stuff, at the same time, for me personally, it's actually been a period where I've been able to really focus. I've been working more. I've been getting more done. I've been writing. I started my own little um, podcast and channel on YouTube. Like, so I've just had so many things going. And for the rest of this year, it's basically going to be same thing. I'm just going to keep doing that, um, keep working, keep you know producing stuff, keep producing content like I do, like you mentioned at the beginning, I do a lot of writing to try and help people understand Bitcoin and it's, you know, and it's kind of, it's, I say the word reason d'etre, so it's like it's reason for existence. Like, and and I'll, I'll just continue to do that because that's, um, I, I think it's important work. And the, the sooner people find something really, really meaningful to do in life, like Jordan Peterson says this, he says, um, don't pursue uh, what makes you happy in life, pursue what you find meaning in. Because if you pursue what makes you happy, you end up getting this fleeting um, experience of like, because ha- happiness just comes and goes. And, and that's how people end up on drugs or alcohol or, you know, doing stupid things is because they're chasing the fleeting experience of being happy. Whereas if you chase, if you pursue meaning, you find depth and happiness actually just comes as a byproduct. You don't have to chase it. And that's such a, powerful powerful thing i think for um for people to think about and um and you know maybe maybe that's a good note to sort of tie on that really ties back to entrepreneurialism is that you know you're not chasing the next high what you're really chasing is building something uh of meaning and um and that's how you have an impact in the world i think it's a pretty good spot to uh kind of wrap it up on alex that's you know i think you've got a really good understanding of what your viewpoints are and your kind of where philosophy and uh, economics, they meet. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's been really enlightening, that's for sure. Um, very interesting. Uh, you know, I'm going to send me down my own rabbit hole of Bitcoin now after this. 
So uh, yeah, dude, I'd be more than happy to send a couple links, and if you guys want to add some links to the show notes for people to do a little bit more digging, more than happy to share that stuff around, man. Yeah, well, speaking of, where can people find you if they want to connect you? You mentioned the publications. You're on Medium. You're on. Uh, tell us what, where we can find you. Yeah, so, if people search my name basically in Google, like I'll come up all over the place. So it's just A L E K S. So my name is spelled a little bit different. So Alex A L E K S, and then my surname is Fetsky. S for Sam, B for Victor, E T, then S K I, like ski. So Alex Svetsky. and I mean, I've got the same handle on on Instagram on. On, uh, I don't use Facebook anymore. I deleted that. But Instagram, Medium, and Twitter. I'm probably most active on Twitter. Um, now, I, I do warn people I'm relatively abrasive on Twitter, but that's what happens when you have 280 characters. <laughs> so, so if you want to see the eloquent version of Alex, look at Medium. <laughs> if you want to see the, the short and abrasive version of Alex, go, go look me up on Twitter. It's, but it's I don't know. Twitter's entertaining for those reasons because it's kind of like a, it's this, uh, it reminds me of, um, you know, Royal Rumble from WWE, like yeah. wrestling matches. It's like, it's kind of like brawling and it's just hilarious. Um, so, and it's a good good analogy because everyone kind of feuds on there, but only the uh, the last couple at the end are the ones standing at the top. Standing, with exactly. It's so funny, man. It's so funny. So, um, no, that's so, yeah, great. So, I, I can test that you are very Googleable, if that's even a word. I just made it up. But um, no, thanks, Alex, for, for joining us. I uh, really appreciate it. And yeah, we'll, we'll follow your journey, mate. Brilliant. Thank you so much, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, mate. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.